Hello, I'm AJ here to introduce Mark Schechter, the inspiring entrepreneur behind Square Pie Guys, the hottest restaurant taking the Bay Area by storm, changing the way San Franciscans eat pizza. Mark is a self-taught pizza nerd whose mission is to put Detroit-style pizza on the map in the Bay Area. Mark started making pizza in his home kitchen, then cut his teeth working weekends at Pizzeria Delfina, Pizza Hacker, Del Popolo, and Cassie's Pizza. The Pizza Man pop-up at Vinyl became began in March of 2018 and quickly became the proving ground for a secret menu of Detroit style pizzas. Now he's a square pie guy who won't rest until DSP takes over. Check out his work on Instagram at pizzaman underscore 420. Get ready for a very honest, hilarious episode, and we hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ, and we have a really special guest today, uh, Mark Schechter, good friend. My, uh, my fiance is one of his best friends from childhood. I've stolen you as a friend, and <laughs> we could not be more excited to have you on and talk about you and your incredible business and everything in between. So before we get into Square Pie Guys, which is an awesome pizza joint in San Fran, Let's hear a little bit about you growing up in Great Neck, your money story, your beliefs around money. Um, geez, loaded question. Obviously, the scope of the podcast. No, I mean, you know, Great Neck is an interesting place. There's a lot of like keeping up with the Joneses type energy. And my dad, for almost 40 years, was a pretty successful dentist. And he liked to, to flaunt his money and live that way. Um, my Also, my grandfather was pretty successful as well. He was a lawyer and an accountant and had a firm offering those professional services to many different businesses and individuals and um, probably was a little less showy with his money, but still like I, as early as I can remember, I was plopped in the front seat of like an SL Benz with the top down and sort of been like, this is the life you should aspire to. Um, mm. And I didn't really realize the impact that made on me until sort of my adult life. Mm. Um, or like when we got out of college and people started to get like really good jobs. Um, definitely left me that, we can go into what that experience is, but if you can kind of read between the lines of that, like keeping up the Joneses and planting your money, definitely just didn't give me necessarily didn't, didn't let me be too hungry. You know, if that makes sense, I was just growing up like, Hey, this is going to be easy if I'm fucking up or if I need to work harder, there's a tutor for that. Or there's a, you know, there's a, a coach that can help you get better at baseball. Like you could just pay your problems away. Um, mm -hmm. And it's still something that I have hopefully found a healthier balance with now as an adult, but still many times I'm just like, okay, money at that problem. Um, and that's not always the best for, for saving money or, or building your wealth. Right. Totally. Um, so after college, what did you, what did you study in college? Um, so I went to university of Miami in Florida. <laughs> right. Um, you know, just going a couple steps back, I think the, the moment for me when I realized like how privileged and lucky my life and childhood like is, was still is, um, was in high school. I started working as like a caddy and a bad groom boy at all these different golf clubs across Long Island. And it's interesting because my dad was a member at one, my grandpa was a member at another. 
And then here I was working for the members of the club, kind of in a weird way to me at the time, it felt like undercover boss or like incognito. Cause like I'd be working for these people and they would treat me like dirt. And I'd be like, in my head, there was a part of me that wanted to be like, do you know who my dad or grandpa is? Mm-hmm. But obviously kind of understood the context of what the, you know, relationship was between a caddy and person who hired me to do that. So I, that sort of built my work ethic and just seeing like, it was weird. Like my, my grandpa, my sister went to Columbia and when my, my sister was like a sophomore in high school, she's in the swim team. And my grandpa said like, if you make varsity and you stay in on the swim team for all four years of high school, I'll buy you a BMW. So, so he bought her BMW and she, she goes to Columbia university where it's in New York city. You don't take a BMW there. So little old me who was like getting B's and C's and not working too hard gets a BMW. Um, wow. So I didn't really deserve that or put the work in for that, but I got it right. And then here I am starting to understand what it means to work hard, showing up at this country club uh, with these other caddies that there are dudes that are career caddies. So like they, you know, it, it work in New York in the summer and fly to Florida to caddy in the winter. Yeah. And cat, you, can, you can make a lot of money. You can make straight cash you, if you hustle and do get there at 6 a.m get out with the first group of like the hardcore gambling very wealthy wall street type dudes you're gonna throw like 100 couple couple hundred bucks on every hole if you're a good caddy and you make one of those guys win a bet they're gonna give you 500 bucks you know and then you wow. get done with that that round at like 1 p.m and then go back out with like grandma and her grandson and the family and you're going to be nice to them and they're going to give you another couple hundred bucks. So you can make like almost a G a day caddying. And these guys did it all year. And here I was pulling up in BMW and these dudes are like ripping me to shreds. Like, you know, I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole, giving me all sorts of shit, like call me like rich boy and whatever. And I, I had to kind of place all that. Actually, this is what I wrote my college essay about. So this was what really? I Ooh, college, but yeah, yeah. But it was a big, it was a big, I'm grateful for it. It was a big moment for me. Um, I mean, a lot of this is like what's interesting about, I didn't know what this podcast was going to be, but it's interesting thinking about it because I hear myself talking about my life. Like, I'm just so fucking lucky. So baseline, like, no complaints. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's kind of what that was. And then, so anyway, so graduated college, take take it what you will. I went to Miami and then <laughs> I got down there and I didn't really, I didn't really want to go. Like the, the takeaway from caddying was like, I don't really know what I want to study and it's, it started to dawn on me that my parents did throw money at problems and college felt like one of them. And mm-hmm. I frankly, like, I'm glad I went to college. I had a great time in Miami. Sure. I developed a lot of relationships, um, which I've been able to leverage to like build a career, but I could, I could have, in terms of what you're supposed to get out of college, like learning or professional skills or sort of some financial literacy or takeaways, I didn't really pay attention. I just like, yeah. Hung out in Miami. I that's where I that's the first time I smoked pot. I became pothead. <laughs> I, played, I played I played a lot of tennis. I played a lot of like cheap golf at like public golf courses. I, I didn't even squash. know there was such a thing as public golf courses. Yeah, public golf course. It's a thing. Municipalities will <laughs> municipalities set them up. They make money. It goes to the tax. They're goes everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, That's it so goes to the city. <laughs> well, it's it's the it's like an accessible way to play golf. Yeah, yeah. totally. But um, 
I ended up like learning how to play squash and then like the people that played squash squash is like a an indoor racket sport for rich people basically yeah and he basically um, retired in yes oh. that is correct <laughs> that is that is legitimately the, my running joke and people are like oh would you study in Miami I'm like I live the life of a seven-year-old Jewish man <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty great isn't Miami yeah. super expensive though I have a couple of people, friends who went crazy down there. crazy yeah. expensive um again my dad took out a loan yeah he he's paying it like it's not my name wow my family has insulated me from a lot of the financial burdens that folks have to take yeah yeah same here Um, in a lot of ways it's really that story about the caddying and being called the rich boy that's really interesting because I had a similar experience when I first started waitressing like right out of college and Mm -hmm. they kept calling me a princess and I didn't I was like I'm not a princess I've been working since I was 19 I blah 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 blah. I have student loan debt all that shit but like I I was such I was an Upper East Side princess like they were all from like Oklahoma Pennsylvania like I'm from the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I was like, it was the first time I checked, I had to check in with my privilege and be like, oh, like, yeah, even though I'm working the same job you're working, we have such a different background. Yeah, I mean, how, how we arrived, like, you know what, like, the truth of the matter is, I didn't get hired as a caddy because they were like, man, this guy's got some huge caddy potential. They were like, this guy's <laughs> grandfather is the president of the fucking country club. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that'll do oh, it. That'll I see do it. it. He holds a he holds a stick really well. Yeah, right. Like there's some there's some recruitment. Like, oh, this very soft, plumpy white boy with a lot of money. We need to train him to be a good caddy. Let's make him the best caddy of all time. Like, no. That's so I mean, funny. I still I still have neck issues from caddy. Like, <laughs> Stuck with you. Yeah. So after college, did you like, what did you do? I know at least what happened to me is it was like a really crazy wake up call going from Mm -hmm. having my family kind of support me to being thrown out into the real world. So how did you make that transition and what did that look like? Um, Well, and this will, this will sort of, I guess I'm someone who sort of lives a little bit by the seat of my pants and kind of takes it day by day and say la vie things will happen kind of person so basically i graduated college didn't have a job right away um went back into my wonderfully blossoming blossoming golf slash caddy career <laughs> um, basically stayed within the familiar familial network of like friends who would hire my dad's son and again <laughs> lucky long island life my dad's closest friend is like literally this billionaire dude and um he runs a hedge fund my dad had just retired from the industry because he got arthritis in his hand, sold his practice, sort of chilling. This guy built a mansion in Old Westbury where his front lawn was five golf holes. Okay. Oh, and, my he, God. and he and he had <laughs> and he had somebody design different like starting points that those five holes in the different configurations was an 18 hole golf course. If that makes sense. Damn. So if you start so of course that guy needed a personal caddy. So that was my first job. Wow. Um, and ten minutes um, away from home. Yeah, like thirty minutes, but it's fine. Oh. Uh, it's still, <laughs> it's still, it must be that far. It can be. It can be at times. Um, still had my sister's BMW, um, and then they hired me. And this is kind of cool. He had a private chef. The private chef needed some help, so they also hired me to work like on the interior of the house that they would call it. And, 
because it was just like a compound. So I did that. I like would serve for these very like high end baller card games that he had and then caught it caddy golf. Um, and through that met somebody who was a, a landlord in, in New York city, owned a bunch of commercial real estate um, who obviously is like friend of that guy, friend of my dad's. And he was like, mock, you know, what'd you study in college? And I was like, uh, <laughs> m- marketing. And he's like, Oh, I got a marketing company in one of my buildings. Like give me a resume. So then my first like actual job on a salary, I got hired to be the personal assistant at this small marketing company in New York city called gazelle global, which was, uh, they sort of were pioneers in online, like electronic surveys in the nineties. It's actually kind of cool. It's two women. Like one of them is like an old Yenta. She was kind of like my de facto grandma <laughs> at the company. And I was just like their personal assistant, like taking the phone calls, answering like emails, doing spreadsheets. Um, and some point in there, and maybe this is sort of like coming from my privilege, but I was like, I need to be making more money. Some of my friends were having like amazing careers in finance and starting to like be like, hey, you wanted to go to Japan? And I'm like, no, I'm fucking broke. I, I'm a caddy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, at the time, I made a terrible financial decision. My parents are like, Mark, um, this is what you, my dad tried to help me budget. He's like, this is what you make. You're an adult now. How you like you can spend your money like we will house you as long as you want. Um, or you can spend your money on an apartment. And I said, cool. Um, I'd like to lease a brand new infinity because I care. I love cars, which is part of this whole thing. Um, so I decided to lease this infinity instead of like saving money or getting my own place. Mm-hmm. And as I, one morning as I was driving to like the first couple of days of this new job, I was driving to the Little Neck Long Island Railroad train station. A kid going to my old high school blew a stop sign, T-boned me, totaled my car. Oh my God. And this is like three months into my lease. Oh. Thankfully the kid, when the cops came, like took all blame. He was just so happy. I was okay. But my car was totaled. And the way it worked out with the insurance was my lease. I got to rent my lease up basically. And that kid's insurance paid off the balance of my lease. So I was supposed, I basically would have been from like age 21 to 25 stuck in this lease. Who knows how much money I would have been making possibly living at home. Yeah. Um, but I could, that could have very be easily been my life. But that car crash, thankfully, it's like I was a hurt. blessing. It I was know, a blessing. Everything happens for a reason. Exactly. And then I was like, oh shit, like that money I was spending a month, I need to get the fuck out of my house, first of all, because I'm going crazy. Yeah. I need to like just like start figuring out how to be an adult. So without really any savings, personal savings, decided to repurpose that monthly payment. Found a, a, a friend of mine from high school. We, we got a place in Astoria. And then I was living in Astoria. So like that opened up the opportunity for me to move that money to, to, to have a, take on a lease and have rent. So then went to Astoria and then lived there from 23 until like 25 or so. Um, still working. 13 to 2015. 2000, uh, 2000, this is more like graduate. Oh, you were 23 to 25. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um i don't know what math this is all rough this is all, this is all fuzzy this is all fuzzy to me too aj so <laughs> believe me and then at, at my job i was i was kind of getting bored of just like doing spreadsheets and 
something in me said like I deserved a higher salary again like going back and my friends are doing all these things so like do you want to travel I'm like I have no money I have this shitty apartment in Astoria um I didn't really know what I wanted to do or wanted to be but my grandparent my, gra- my grandfather started his own business my dad started his own business some something in my head said I would do something on my own that's kind of when I started to pursue stand-up comedy which was a lot of fun and definitely at least kept me sane and distracted me from thinking or stressing too much about money or my situation. I guess I've always just had this belief that it's going to work out, um, which mm-hmm. is, which certainly comes from a place of privilege. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And then I asked my boss if I could start selling, they, they did research services. So they had this like focus group room with a double mirror and they were never booking any research in that room. So I was like, let me book the room for you and you can pay me a commission. And she was like, I'm not going to pay a commission until you prove you can do it. And I was like, cool, just train me. Like, let's get Salesforce in here. Let's start doing that. I, one of my, the only thing I really took away from college was this elective in the, in the undergraduate business school called professional selling. It was a semester long course. And the professor was incredibly inspiring. Like straight up, there are two classes that I remember from Miami that I like feel like influenced my life. One was the history of Cuban jazz, which I find so interesting because <laughs> it's like the foundation for like a lot of music. And the other one was professional selling um and so I just had it in my head like hey listen I didn't I'm not super good at formulas or paying attention to programming um I'm not gonna learn that I just told my maybe I could learn it I think I've learned a lot now but at the time I was like I'm not gonna sit down and do that shit like just let me sell let me like talk people into loving me and giving me their money (laughs) um that's what I did yeah so she she hired me to do that and you got really Should I just keep going? Should I just yeah. keep going? Uh, yeah, please. Yeah, no, I'm so into the story. And then I got good at it. And then there was a dispute between me and her, even though, like, honestly, I loved her and respected the shit of her. And she, I think she looked at me as, like, possibly someone she could groom. They were paying me dirt. And um, this is obviously, like, New York City, 2011, 2012. A lot, of, a lot of tech companies are starting to pop up and get funding in New York. So... I just, you know, went on LinkedIn, started networking and seeing what sales jobs are out there and applied for this software company called Booker Software, which is now owned by MindBody, if you've oh, heard wow. of MindBody. Yeah. yeah. But at the time, um, they were trying to like, they just got a series B or something for like 20 million or so. I don't remember the figures, but you know, they got a nice, healthy series B and started to like really build out a sales team. And they pitched me, they're like, you're going to come in, we're going to train you. You have commission structure, which was really lacking for my software, uh, my research sales job, which my boss was just like, okay, you sold the job. Here's hundred bucks in your check. Here's 500 bucks. <laughs> like, I was like, right. where's this coming from? Well, the job was 200K. Like, don't I get some of that? She was like, no, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which, was, which, which was fine. Like that, that was a good lesson for me. And I was, again, lowest man on the totem pole, but that situation wasn't going to work. I got a new job. I went to their training program and basically was just a schmuck cold calling with a couple other young dudes. It was like a little frat house. Um, and I still actually, it's amazing. I still have some really great friends from that job because it was cool because they would hire salespeople in like teams of like eight to 12 and train them all at once. So you had this like cohort you kind of came in with and you got trained up and then we would just wake up every day and like, cold call every once in a while we do little prank calls there was some like like uh, what well like i i mean now looking back i'm like damn that was kind of like 
racist and not cool, but we would fuck with Asian nail salons all the time. Um, wasn't nice. There is one of them that like I legitimately had a relationship with. She was in North Carolina. Her name was V, and we'd call her, and she'd be like, "Oh, Mark, I'm never gonna switch. What do you want? To, what do you want to do today?" Because they they all have some software to manage their like their online appointments and their payments and their gift cards. But anyway, I got I got kind of good at it. I, I the, my approach to being successful was to kind of go above and beyond. So if somebody like if someone gave me the objection of like, "Oh, I don't know how to use the software," I'd be like, "If you buy from me, I'll take care of it." And I would spend my off hours figuring out how to configure it for them or pestering other folks at my tech company in the product team or the support team to help me like buy them a beer, like just get my sales done. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I would like crush my coat quota and make a nice living and start to save some money. Um, and around that time I met somebody who <laughs> I started to develop a really good relationship with and she and I like moved in together and she came from a totally different background, which certainly provided me a new level of sort of financial security, very like wealthy family, but just like completely opposite upbringing in terms of, despite being possibly like equally secure, like her, her parents had owned many properties across the country, but also drove like a 1996 Honda Accord because it was still working kind of thing. Um, And then that was her mentality. So our families didn't drive and I think it probably, it probably was ultimately like what ended the relationship, but we moved in together in Brooklyn and then I got a job at Amazon. I upgraded my career a little bit selling oh, for wow. Amazon and then we moved to Seattle and then I got a new gig at booking.com still doing like software sales over the phone. Um, and now we're into like 2014, 15. So move in with her, move out West with her, like leave New York behind. Why did you move out West? Um, she, well, she was pursuing a a career in the sort of nonprofit world and, Mm -hmm. um, she got a job at the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation in Seattle. Oh, Oh, wow. That was a a big move for her. Um, and at the time, like, you know, I was like, again, it's all going to work out for me. Like sales, I still was doing stand up, So I was like, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to break it, break through in up, or maybe I'm going to like focus on like I didn't love sales I just did it because I could make money like it wasn't right. and you were as much fun as, right yeah. as much fun as it was to have like the my crew with me at my first job and like new people at my second job and stuff I was like this is soul sucking it's mostly rejection which actually kind of like it jived well with pursuing stand-up in New York City because you like you get shit on the phone and then you go on stage and no one thinks you're funny <laughs> but it builds it builds character and yeah um, it, and it allows you yeah it can it can I've definitely seen like both salespeople and comics who are like man that person doesn't know what they were missing or like this audience is terrible which is like mm-hmm. actually no you, you probably suck you should work on that um yep <laughs> totally that's what, that's what it did for me but there's definitely a lot of that in me of like well, what what can I do differently and that sort of applied with this relationship because my ex at the time was like so career focused so driven had such a clear vision of what she was going to do she was going to go to the bill and melinda gates foundation then she was going to start her own nonprofit, and she was going to like do all this good in the world and like give back from her privilege and like the piece of guilt from her that that she lived with from like having the advantages in life and be like i'm going to do all and so her plan was so clear so i was like yeah you want to move to seattle i'll miss new york i'll drop i'll completely like drop my stand-up career because it, you just can't do it in the same way in other cities. Not that not that other people haven't developed wonderful 
comedy careers from other cities. It's just like New York has such a concentration of yeah. available open New York mics. New York and LA, start. I feel like. Yeah. In Chicago. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. kind of left it, all, left it all behind and was like, yeah, I'll, don't worry. I'll, it's very easy for me to get a sales job. And that's, that was true. Like I landed in Seattle. We signed the lease to our new apartment. I had like a final interview, got a job that day, started working like two days later, you know? Wow. wow. Um, yeah. And then she got into, she was like, I'm going to, my, the next stage in my very clear life plan, her name was Anne. She was like, uh, is to go to business school. So then she started applying to go to business school at Yale or at Berkeley. And we have a friend, AJ, you, you know Eckstein? Yeah. So Eckstein is a friend of ours from like Long Island, Great Neck. He has been really successful in the tech world and investing and helping to like find the next tech, big tech companies and putting the money in the right place, whether it's personally or like professionally as part of like a fund management type thing that he does. Um, but he was in the Bay Area this whole time. So like probably since 2013, building his career. And I was like, hey, like, you know, my, my girlfriend's going to go to Berkeley. Like, I am tired of being sort of like a mid to upper tiered salesperson. I want to like, I thought the next step for me to branch out was to like become a sales manager and then a VP of sales and like build a team. Right. So yep. he was like, okay, like here's all these startups. So I started interviewing the startups and then I got hired to build a sales team for a small startup here in San Francisco. And my girlfriend got into Yale and was waitlisted at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was like, Hey, like, you know, I've been kind of like, you know, you brought me to Seattle. I've like put, been putting your career first, like my time. Like I'm going to go yeah. to the Bay and you're going to figure it out. She got into Berkeley and it sort of worked out. Um, and then I learned a whole lot at this small startup about like where my skills actually were, how professional I actually was, what my tolerance was. Cause I took, I took a pay cut. Cause one, you know, when you're like an individual contributor on a sales team, you kind of control how much you make off the commissions when right. you're the, the, the sales leader. Um, even I was also an individual contributor because it was a company of poor people, but even then it's like the expectation is to hire a team and to kind of like move that forward. And that was its own challenge working with the two co-founders and them not always being on the same page. And so one would tell me to pursue sales by like having people agree to like, hey, like, hey, we have this product. We're going to build it directly for your use case. Give us a deposit. And then in six months, we'll deliver a product. And that contract's worth a shit ton. That was like one approach we took. The other approach was like, let's give it away for free and collect a lot of data. And then I'd be like, well, what about me? And like, what about our company having revenue? Yeah. And they, he, he would be like, oh, like, we'll get more funding. And then the two the two co-founders would like butt heads in that. And then I was always kind of stuck in the middle. Um, and ultimately, that company flopped. And then my relationship started to fall apart because she was like in business school and was feeling very inspired by her, like um, her classmates and their vibes and my sort of like, let's say, I don't wanna say listlessness, but just like a lack of conviction towards sales wasn't working for her. So then she went off and like found someone else and that whole relationship ended. And right around then is when I started to like make pizza at home because I sort of had like lost stand-up comedy as my side hustle and was really disillusioned and like not into doing sales anymore. So I was like searching for something and um, yeah, I just started making pizza at home. We have another, I'm lucky to have a lot of good friends who um, 
I don't want to say want to help me, but I could convince to help me, let's say. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You're pretty, uh, you're pretty easily, easy to like. Well, thanks. Easy uh, to want to be like, yeah, sure, whatever. What you, what do yeah, you do? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I try not to make it hard. That was one of the things that I learned from sales, but um, anyway. <laughs> I'll make it so crazy. easy for you to help me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just give me this book and then answer my text every five minutes. <laughs> so um, why, why pizza? Um, I think it, it probably felt like a little bit of a, a emotional void in me. Like pizza makes people happy. And that's ultimately, you know, with comedy, I just wanted to make people laugh. And I wanted people to be like, like to your, like to your point, I want people to be like, oh, I like that guy. And the thing he gives me is good. So I like him yeah. more. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like fills me up emotionally more than pursuing money. But, um, and I had only just been pursuing money for so many years and wasn't getting that. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just like a fat kid at heart and like a foodie. And I've always, I've always been that way. So wherever I went in the country, whether it was in New York, Seattle, Miami for college, California, always the first thing I did intentionally or not was always find like the best hole in the wall pizza place. Mm. So, and then tell everybody and be like, yo, you got to come. Like, can we order it? Like, let's order it. Like, come on, let's go. And, you know, and everyone be like, dude, stop. Um, but that was just part of me. And then, I couldn't really find it out here in Oakland where I lived at the time. And I was like bored and probably a little sad. And just my friend who was like an incredible chef, super talented. He was moving apartments from San Francisco to Oakland. I was helping him pack his cookbooks and I found this pizza book. And I was like, yo, can I take this? Will you help me? And then sort of the rest is history. I just started like making dough every day and like, going from not being able to stretch a pizza and like these weird oblong, puffy, uneven crust pizzas to like learning how to do it. And then having all these pizza parties with um, my ex's business school friends, we'd invite them over every week and have like 10 people, 20 people. And then threw a huge party and made a shit ton of pizza and like cooked all day. And everyone at the party is like, yo, you want a beer? You want a joint? You want? I was like, no, I'm fucking making pizza. Leave me alone. You know? <laughs> and that day, it, that that like like straight up cooked for eight hours people would just be coming in out of our house and that day was kind of the aha moment for me with pizza because I was like oh this doesn't feel like work no one can tell me whether it's right or wrong people seem to like it almost no matter how good or bad I make it and hmm. I personally want to keep making it better and wasn't satisfied and then I started to talk to my friend who was a chef like how do I start a business how do I do this and he's like don't Food businesses are super hard. Yeah. Margins are thin. You have no fucking experience. And I think just like real casually, he was like, why don't you go even see if you can work in a restaurant? And then um, I had this, then like a week later, I had this really messy breakup and had all this time in my hands, had this new passion, all this time in my hands, a lot, a big, a big chip on my shoulder, a lot to prove to myself and maybe to others. And I just said, fuck it. Like I'll, I'll take that sort of off the cuff comment head on. Then I started like searching Craigslist for pizzerias and I found a couple and like my very first job in a pizzeria was like legitimately a kitchen nightmares. Like (laughs) the guy, like the boss, like the, the dishwasher made a whole big vat of of, like rigatoni and drops it on the floor and put it back in the fucking pot. (laughs) And, and the chef, I won't name this place, but it's like in the suburb of Oakland. The chef was like, nice to meet you. He's like, yo, they call me snacks. I'm like, why? He's like, well, I always had the snack. And like proceeds to puts his hand in a bag of Chex Mitz, eat the food and then 
same hand, not washed, right into stretching pizza dough. Uh. And I was like, Ugh. and then the owner was like, hey, like, you have a good work ethic. Like, you love pizza. We want to hire you. I was like, I'm going to get back to you. And then I texted him back. I was like, hey, I don't know what's going on. I was like, I don't know what's going on in your kitchen, but this is what I saw. And then I never looked back. Um, I like imagine you walking out with like your arms flailing, running and like, screaming in the street. Don't go there. No, honestly, honestly, it was like super uh, discouraging because I had gone through this, all this emotions of the breakup and like making pizza in this arc. And I was questioning like, who the fuck would even hire me? Not knowing, now I know a lot more obviously owning a restaurant that, a lot of restaurateurs are struggling. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. And the labor market's really tough. So anyone who's like, I want to work, they're like, well, to figure it out. So like, that, probably that owner was like, here's someone who I know will even show up. And I was like yeah. walking out like, man, this place was like my dream and it, and they suck, you know? So I was just <laughs> super discouraged. I remember getting back in my car and like straight up crying for a couple minutes. Like, wow, am I ever going to do this? You know? Yeah. Um, so it was a weird moment, but. I think it's really an interesting point because I think a lot of people don't understand what's going on with the pandemic and people losing um, and restaurants closing because they think that it's caused by the pandemic, which is the the straw that broke the camel's back. But they a lot mm. of restaurants didn't have their finances in order mm -hmm. before the pandemic, which is why they couldn't sustain the blow of the pandemic. I mean, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, right. no. Some, some restaurants are like, really have a lot of shit in order but a lot of it is like the very premise of their business like if you're a super high-end fine dining restaurant you need that volume you need people coming in booking corporate events buying those bottles of wine mm. and when you have that your finances are great and your structure works fine when you don't have that your brand is tied up in that image and there's no sort of pivoting because who yeah, wants to buy point. a $300 take-home kit when you can go buy a pizza and be super satisfied for 15, 20 bucks and have a beer from your grocery store? Like now you're not completely, like, they're selling a whole experience that yeah, you just can't right. bring home. That's a great you know? point. Yeah. But yeah, a lot so of the re other restaurants that you're talking about fit into what you're saying, AJ, for sure. Yeah. I got to ask during this time when you were transitioning from sales and like making this big life transition, what were your finances like? And did you, did you have like a security net that allowed you to make this transition? Um, honestly, not really. I think a lot of the things when I look back on it, like I spent so much money moving across the country and right. um, I spent a lot of money just to prove that I wasn't, I didn't need to ask for anyone's help. Mm -hmm. Like I, I had a lot of money that I was making, but I was just spending it to put, to put out there that like, no, I don't need your help. No, like. Like my girlfriend at the time, you know, very wealthy grandparents gave her an incredible safety net and she could pull from that savings account when she needed to. Plus she also made more money than me. Plus she also was contributing, maxing out her 401k and smarter with her wow. anyway. So when she was moving and like, Hey, let's live in this house. That's four grand a month. I was like, sure, sure, sure. Like, I'm not going to be the one who says no, because right. part of like my male ego wouldn't allow me to. And part of this idea that I had to like eventually be the one providing for her it wouldn't allow me to like you know swallow my pride and be like hey that doesn't work for me and I didn't I didn't really have that that voice available to me so I just spent money to project that I had the money and then I also am impulsive and dumb and <laughs> when I was in Seattle I don't know I I was looking at the future and thinking and I still kind of think this way and I'm still sort of in the spot but um 
like, oh, I'll, I'll figure things out later or I'll, or I'll make my big, my big nut of money or whatever later. And um, I had a couple of really big sales in Seattle and I got these big commission checks. And it's always been my dream to learn how to drive and build a race car. So I decided to spend ungodly amounts of money doing that to the <laughs> behest of my girlfriend. And I look back on it now and think about how much money that could have been. But mm, right. I did it. But I guess like the safety net was just having a job, like consistently earning good money. That yeah. was my safety net. But you not were actually working having a safety time. net. Yeah, yeah. You were working full time when you started doing the pop-ups, right? Yeah, I never okay. quit my job. Okay. And I also, actually it was a good time because back to like restaurant industry wanting people to work, I ended up being able to really upgrade the pizzeria jobs I, I, I got and got hired by like one of the two best pizzerias in the, in this San Francisco Bay area. And I was making like 15, 16 bucks an hour plus tips Saturday and Sunday working 10 to 10. And that was like me getting basically paid to train and learn how to eventually run my own business. Wow. But I still had my sales job Monday to Friday. So right. that wasn't a bad move at all. And plus whatever money from the pop-up, even though we didn't, we didn't really take money out of the pop-up, at least it could like, we could fund some of my meals and call that our research and development on our books and things like that. Like, so right. that was good too. So when did you meet Dan? <coughs> um, I met Dan, Dan is his partner. Dan, Danny has uh, we call him, he likes to be called Danny. Oh, sorry. Danny. <laughs> you can, I'll apologize to him for him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he was working under my friend Jeff, who is the chef that I was alluding to. At, like they worked at a restaurant consulting firm. I think I met him summer of 2016, or maybe summer of 2017, rather. And then um, just when I just sort of when like my pizza interest was blossoming, and he was trying to he was moving down from maybe from New Orleans and getting hired here mm. in the Bay Area. Um, and it's interesting his first like he went through interviews at this restaurant consulting firm and his like welcome to the team kind of like final social gathering meet and greet kind of interview thing that they did was um, like a social night at this restaurant consulting firm. They have like a test kitchen and my friend Jeff was like, Hey Mark, come make pizza for everybody. So I was making pizza for everybody the night that Danny was like getting his final hiring thing. So I met him there. Um, we were just both like funny idiot Jewish dudes kind of like that vibe like same sense of humor um but Danny is definitely Danny's our CFO of the company like he he has the right sort of mind to organize all the different things in our balance sheet and learn that and I'm very grateful to have partnered with somebody who has that skill set because I know it's not natural to me yeah totally um so you had to, you funded for, so you, so you're doing these pop-ups and then you decide, okay, we're going to like go, we're going to open up our own place, Square Pie Guys. So what did that entail? Like, how did you kind of organize that all? Um, well, so the first thing I was doing my own pop-ups and then Danny was out there like living his life. Got it. And we, we would like reconnect through me going to visit my friend Jeff at work and just catch up. And then at some point, um, there's, I was starting to spread my wing, my wings with my pop-up and I, I went to like legalzoom.com and got an LLC and started talking to like friends and family about business insurance, just in case like somebody got sick off my cheese or, I, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't personally get sued. Um, 
And then I could have like a business credit card to sort of, you know, uh, figure out some of these expenses. And Brett's mom helped me with, <laughs> with my accounting at first. Uh -huh. um, so that sort of stuff. So, but, th but then um, Danny introduced me to this group out here called the Illuminati, which is like Jews who are either restaurant owners or restaurant writers or like mm. making some sort of food consumer package good. But the Illuminati, which I think is a very funny name. It's a great um, name. Amazing name. They, so they, he invited me to the group and immediately me being me, the, the one who, the person who organizes the group was like, yeah, Mark, like we're doing an event next week. Like, do you want to come? And I was like, do you want to come? I'll fucking cook pizza at that shit. Like, you know, like, let me, yeah. let me in. And she's like, whoa, that's amazing. Like we don't normally have that. And so then I was like, Danny, I'm cooking pizza this thing and you got to help me. He's like, oh, like, I don't actually, I'm like, Danny was a chef at fine dining restaurants and very deliberately moved his career away from like being the guy cooking the food to the guy who would like be understanding the strategic decisions about why you're cooking that dish and where it fits in with the menu cycle and what the business strategy is. So he was like very deliberate. So he, when I asked him, he was like, I don't cook for hire anymore. I was like, okay, well, can you fucking just help me? Like you put me in this group. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he, and he's like, well, you decided you were gonna make pizza for them. I'm like, just help me. So we went up to this winery in um, Napa. We had like a two hour drive there and back. He helped me for free. Um, and that's sort of when we started to like think about square pie guys. Mm. And I was like, Hey, I'm doing this pop-up. I've seen that Detroit style pizza is really popular across the country. No one's doing it well in the city. All the pizzerias I've worked at basically make the same type of pizza within like, you know, plus or minus 5% of each other. Um, and no one's doing anything cool. Like we have an opportunity and oddly enough at the very same time, I'm just, I just like really got into pizza and was like a pizza nerd and Instagram has all every pizzeria and all the pizza nerds on Instagram, they all talk to this community. So people were helping me in my like DMs. I'd be like, what flour are you using? Like, what is this the right yeast? How much water? Are you, you know, all this stuff. So people are helping me and I'm developing ideas about what we should do. So I was playing with the, the Detroit style pizza, like a pan pizza. Mm -hmm. um, and oddly enough, right before this trip with Danny or this like event that we cooked at, this, this very sweet, uh, these two guys, they're getting married. They're having a a big gay Indian wedding at this wine bar where my pop-up was and they asked me to cater it. And I had just been experimenting with Detroit style pizza. So I was like, I don't have any of my normal New York style pizza ready. Like just try this just so you know how good my pizza can be no matter what type it is. Hmm. And they're like, Oh, we fucking love this pan pizza. Can you make it for our wedding? And I was like, well, unfortunately um, uh, uh, an event of that size, I don't have enough pans. Like you need for every pizza you serve, you need a pan for it. Wow. And you're like, well, just, just give us a quote. Maybe we'll buy the pans for you. So I did. So I was like, here, I need 25 pans. Like this is the cost of the pans. This is the cost of, for the event for me. And they bought everything. So that was how wow. we got our first like 25 pans. So then I was driving with Danny sitting on these pans. We're talking about it. And this is also right around the time of Newman's wedding mm. that summer. And oh, wow. um, I decided to convert my pizza pop-up into square pie guys and that's how it kind of all came together mm. was from that car drive and like all these sort of fortuitous events a lot of things sort of happened with really good timing it always works so. that way though wow and then so you you did funding you did personal funding right like you were like yeah, so we cold calling yeah, so, hot calling your like people you know yes yes you know it was interesting we the cool thing about pizza um, is it can be pretty profitable. And once, you know, you got someone to buy the pans for us, all we really need to do for, we really weren't paying like rent in a significant way. Like 
we would sell, let's say we like our best nights of the pop-up, which are kind of crazy for two guys. We would do like 120 something pizzas and have like $2,200 in sales or something, you know? Wow. Um, and the wine bar, I, I, now I'm even forgetting, but they either took like 10% or 20%. I forgot, but basically all the sales would go through their register and they would pay us out minus their cut. Right. So we didn't really have upfront expenses to, we didn't, didn't cost us a lot to build a brand for ourselves. Let's put it that way, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we, the equipment I bought personally, as I was learning how to make pizza. So I had a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Danny had deals from being in the industry and from his job. So he can get ingredients easily. He can get equipment kind of easily and cheap. So, so we were able to just build this brand. And then Danny started looking on Craigslist for like restaurants that had closed. Cause our plan was to get, into a restaurant cheap. It can be so expensive to build a restaurant from scratch, like yeah. absurdly expensive. And as a first time restaurant business, you don't know if people are gonna like your food, if it's gonna take off, why sink all that cost into something that's so speculative? So Danny got lucky, found a great spot. Um, we had started to talk to certain friends who, like my roommate at the time, who interesting enough, also very successful uh, engineer, was like, Mark, whenever you're ready, I'll give you 25K. Like, I love you. It's been amazing. You feed, you fed me so many pizzas on oh, so many nights because I would just wow. cook in our apartment, you know? And he's yeah. like, whenever you're ready. And I was like, cool, 25K. Like, I, we, we, we need more. So like, <laughs> I just started to think about who else we could kind of secure in that way. Um, it happened kind of naturally. We first, we started to ask people for money and they're like, oh, where is it going to be? We didn't have a location. And then what happened was is 2000, end of 2018, uh, SF Eater Magazine and SF nominated us to be one of the pop-ups of the year, which was really fucking cool because wow. we only converted my pop-up, which was called Pizza Men 420, which is like dumb, but it was fine. <laughs> um, we converted that to be Square Pie Guys in like August, September of 2018. And then November, we already got named one of the pop-ups of the year, wow. which is dope. Wow. So then that's when we were like, okay, we got to get serious. We started to ask people for money and they would come back and be like, what's your plan? Where's the location? And that's when sort of things get sort of all happened at the same time where we found the spot. So then we went back to some folks we had early conversations with and said, Hey, we have a spot. We need 40 K. I have 25 secured. So then we got together like five here, five there, 10 here. And just, just to get the lease. Right. Then we got the lease and then we're like, cool. Like let's build this out. Um, and went to a bunch of different folks. And it was interesting because I think a lot of, my colleague, I still had a sales job at the time. So a lot of my colleagues at my, at my software company sort of knew, like our, our boss didn't pay that much attention, but I would talk there to my friends so they knew what I was doing and they knew kind of that I was checked out and working on this so hard. And I told him, I'm like, yo, we got a spot. We got a restaurant. Like, and I was like, I got like 80 K now. And he's like, Oh, well, are you asking me? I'm like, Oh, you want to invest? And he's like, yeah, dude. And I was like, Oh shit. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so, that's the best case scenario. I, yeah. 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 And then like also great case he has, he, he, this personal guy had already had with his other five friends that he grew up with, they all put money into a pot to buy real estate in the Bay area. So they have this holding company. They're invested. Wow. Like, we're, we're like, we're like, we're kind of bored with real estate and we like you. And I was like, wow, that's lucky. You know, um, honestly, wow. same thing. Like with, with Brett, Brett pulled me aside. I was like, I want to give you money. Like I didn't. Well, that was the best. Cause you thought you were in trouble. Yeah. I thought I did something. <laughs> Because, Brett's like, well, Brett's like, I need to talk to you. Well, I used to make I used to make a lot of fun of Brett when I was like a little insecure shithead kid when we were te- when we were teenagers. So I thought Brett was gonna be like, I heard this thing you said ten years ago. <laughs> like, we were we were at a wedding. 
you think Brett's gonna bring up something from 20 years ago and be like, we need to talk about something from 20 know. years ago I don't at know. this wedding. <laughs> I at was this mean. wedding we're at. That's so <laughs> funny. Talk about like guilty conscience. And Brett's like, That's no, I want to give you money. That's uh, so yeah. funny. I mean, yeah, it just kind of came together. Um, I guess we were just putting the right energy out there. We had enough of like, we did a lot of the right things. Like our Instagram was booming. We were smart to put up a Yelp right when we started the pop-up. The reviews were great. Like there was enough proof points where anyone was like, why would we give you money? We're like, hey, like we're on this trajectory. Things pop up of the year, great Yelp, big brand, people lining up out the door, selling out every night. Like this needs to get upgraded, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. What are your, what are your goals for your company? Um, I think the biggest thing now, you know, I might, okay. Personally to me, I kind of, I miss the sort of smaller scale and actually making the pizza because that's what was, I was really connected to, but now it's more like just seeing the business grow and seeing our staff, our GM, our shift leads, our AGM, like all those folks, be so into what we built. I just, I just want to give it back to them. I want to make sure that they can like build careers off it and uh, go as far or as short as they want to go within our business or within their lives. Um, but for us, like we, I ultimately want to be able to pay back our investors and then pay ourselves and then make sure that, you know, our staff are well paid and taken care of, which, which they are like, we pay, I think a lot more than, you know, a restaurant would pay people. Um, yeah, just kind of rising tides, like raise all ships kind of idea mm. for the goals. Like, you know, where we just signed a lease three weeks ago for Oakland oh. location. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. Number yeah. Two, it's so happening. Number two is happening. Um, and hopefully we can get, you know, a side effect of the pandemic is a lot of restaurants are closing. So there's like a lot of opportunities in the market and, I'm not like happy that other people aren't doing as well, but it also just gives us opportunities. So yeah, just be ready to take advantage of them. Yeah. Something that I want to mention that's so impressive is that you were profitable within like six months, right? Of, of mm -hmm. the opening of the store. Actually like, so corporate structure wise, this, the, the business that operates the store was profitable right away. Wow. Wow. I yeah. feel like that's pretty rare. Well, I think so too, but also we, we had, we had a lot of, let's say, uh, hypothesis or like assumptions and we got to sort of validate them at a small scale on the pop-up and then know that they would probably work mm. at the, at the restaurant level. Mm. And yeah, I mean, we, we weren't sure if our brand was going to care because the pop-up was in one neighborhood in San Francisco where there's like a lot of younger tech folk and money. And now we, the restaurant was not in the best neighborhood necessarily. I mean, one step back there, like Square and Uber and Twitter, their offices are right by our, our restaurant. Mm -hmm. So there, yeah. there is a lot of tech money, but they don't always, they don't all live in that neighborhood. They live in these other neighborhoods right. and they commute to work. So we weren't sure if those same folks were gonna actually come out at night and come eat with us. And they did, but the bet we, the, the hedge that we took to kind of bet against that and say like, okay, if they don't come eat with us, how are we going to be successful was to set up our delivery with caviar really early oh, right? smart. And, yeah. and build and build like a really strong partnership with them and not accept their first offer on the mm -hmm. commission fees right away. And that wow, interesting. has played out really well for us in the, in the pandemic. 
That's great. Um, one more question before we wrap, what is it like for you having a business partnership? Are there any like issues that you've run through? How do you maintain that relationship? <laughs> um, it hasn't always been easy. We're very different people. Uh, we have different, we approach stress differently. We have different like triggers. Um, it hasn't, we, it's actually finally stabilizing, but I, I sense that now opening the store too, we're going to fall back into like a weird stress spin cycle again, but um, hasn't been easy. It's like having a, another romantic relationship in a way um, with none of the benefits. <laughs> <laughs> but also Danny and I are, are at the core are good friends and we're there for each other. So I think like no matter how hard we butt heads sometimes or how annoyed he is at me for make, I, I can be pretty impulsive and make some quick decisions um, because that's just kind of how I like to move through life. Um, no matter how annoyed he can be at, at, for me for doing those things, we always make it work. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, trust me, there, there have been some really dire feelings this year, but we've been able to work through them and communicate. And we actually even went to like a professional coach for one session, cool. which nice. was, which was positive, but also, um, that was a weird experience for other reasons, but it, it had the correct effect, which is like Danny and I kind of said, said, got some shit off our chest in like a safe environment, but yeah, no, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, our, our, each of our egos is very different and has different needs, mm -hmm. but I think the fact that I think we're both aware of them. So that helps from a baseline. Yeah. Right. And you have a lot of respect for each other's like skill sets because they're so complementary and different. Um, this is, this is going to go out live. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think at the core, that's true. Um, we, I think we each have different personal goals, you know, mm. I don't, I don't always necessarily need to be like, like, like I like being on this podcast, right. Or like being in the press, but I don't necessarily need it. I just want the business to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to be able to take care of my family and then the family of our staff or through paying them essentially. Um, and I want to make good pizza and I want to like do cool shit and funny shit on Instagram. Like those are the, those are my needs. Yeah, totally. So, oh my God. As long as that, as long as it happens, if, if it, if it all, all the credit goes to Danny, I honestly couldn't care. The, uh, the most recent Instagram amazing thing that you did was that they ran out of like round pepperoni. So it's like <laughs> flat pepperoni. So you made this whole marketing campaign about like breaking news. Like we have, we have flat pepperoni. It tastes just as good. It was so funny. I was crying. Uh, that's what's cool. It's like, that's like an idea we all brainstormed as a team. And then we have a contractor that makes that artwork and so she cool. is super smart. She's a great copywriter. She loves the food world and she ran with it, you know? Yeah. So that's been, a, that's honestly like, if there's something I'm most proud of, it's being like, I had all these ideas two years ago about how to like get our brand out there. And now we actually have the tools and the people in place to like go do it. And um, that is fucking cool. Yeah. Such a good feeling, honestly. Yeah. Amazing. Any last minute questions, AJ, before we wrap I up? I mean, I just have so many. I just, one, <laughs> one, just real quick, but like one memory when you came over and we made pizza, he literally gave my starter more love than my starter has ever gotten in <laughs> life. He was talking to the starter. He was loving the starter. He was, 
he's it's true like your your passion is so infectious for pizza and it, I mean it just it's clear like it's just what you're meant to be doing and um it's just really inspiring to get to watch you do what you love and to have impact and like have employees that you care about and want to level up in life and want to support them and you're doing you're doing a lot of good in the world and making people fat and happy thanks AJ <laughs> and 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 myself too it's not yeah. the worst thing should that be the name of the podcast <laughs> fat and happy. happy yep fat there happy. we go that's it um, that's it it's a good name <laughs> so we always like to ask this question um if you could describe your relationship with money in one word what would it be complicated <laughs> it's complicated <laughs> yeah pretty much status i mean look we we're still taking like founders salaries right we're opening a second restaurant um all the money that all the profits the business earns goes back into the business to grow the business so mm-hmm. the idea or the bet the sort of bet there is hey that's going to pay off later but it's certainly not paying off like directly right now you know so we're yeah we're still budgeting and trying to figure out how to like, you know, fly to our friend Evan's wedding and rent this rented tux and move into a new house and have a car and do all these things um, on, on, yeah, on shoestrings while also keeping like the cat happy and my girlfriend happy. And, you know, like money doesn't buy happiness, but there, there is a weird connection there. So it's all complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, please promote away. We want to hear about this new store. Where can people find you? Go ahead. Pizza man underscore 420. If you want some good pizza and laughs, Square Pie Guys, Hetchy's Hot, our fried chicken brand. We're in uh, downtown San Francisco and we're going to be in old Oakland coming this winter. So Bay Area people listening to this, come check us out. DM me. I'll hook you up. That's it. Amazing. (laughs) Oh, now I want your chicken sandwich real bad. I want pizza so bad. I think I'm going to have to go get some. (laughs) (laughs) Like, get my pizza mix. A question for you. So where, where are you? Where are you located? Boston. Boston. Ah, who do I know in Boston? I'll send you some pizza Rex for Boston. Please do because it's a few and far between so far. AJ, where where are you going to go get some pizza? I, I had Detroit style pizza like the other week. It was, it was okay. Was it, it was from Emmy like, squared? No, it was not from Emmy squared. It was called oh. red table. Oh, the one by your house. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was okay. They actually made a pesto one with zucchini and like a, like a pesto basil, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, it was decent. <laughs> All I want every day is your pepperoni. Well, here's, I'll tell you the guys the funniest thing. You know, we put out, and I have to leave soon. I hear Tessa's March. We have to. We have our cat's first vet appointment. Okay, we're gonna go in a second. Um, <laughs> it, all the funny creations that we make for our pizza, are, a lot of it is to give people optionality, of course. But we, I think, like seventy percent of our overall total sales are just pepperoni pizza, like the pepperoni pizza. No way, all that's crazy. Across fried chicken, wings, salads, dessert. That's foods. nuts. Other pizzas, 70%. That's when you know it's good. Yeah, but also like, don't, don't complicate, like maybe it's, this is a piece of life advice. Don't complicate shit. Just stick with the basics. <laughs> that could be another title. There you go. Okay, um, before, before we let you go, what are three things that you're grateful for? Um, 
my health, my friends, and my family. Oh, don't complicate it. <laughs> don't, don't complicate it. Stick to the basics. AJ, what Seriously. about you? I'm going to do the same. Um, I had a lot of wine last night and I'm so grateful <laughs> to be able to totally recover like a, like a 22 year old all over again. Um, my friends and uh, my family. I copied you. Nice. <laughs> I'm grateful for my family for sure. Um, I'm grateful for conversations like this. It's very inspiring to hear people doing what they love and following their passions. And I'm grateful for my partner. Oh, well, Mark, I'm so sad this conversation is over because I could have talked to you for another lifetime. But uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening Bye, to Everybody's Bad With Money. This podcast was presented by Beyond the Green Coaching. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and the website. Bye, Mark. Bye. Bye.